Thank you for listening to Recyclables. I really appreciate it. If you want to support the program, the best way to do that is to like, subscribe, and share. Uh, the next best way is to make a donation either through the Acast app or at our Patreon, which is just patreon forward slash recyclables.com. Until next time, thank you. Okay, uh, let me let me introduce our, our uh, my co-host Rochelle Cotier <laughs> and our returning guest uh, Dahlia X Bell. Why do you give me a middle initial? Is it, I thought it was I, no, it's mixed Dahlia Delu Bell. Oh, I don't know why was X ever a thing in there, and I'm just remembering an old okay. No, no. Okay, are you just reading wasn't. some Malcolm X energy? Oh yes, yes, yes. revolutionary yes. Dahlia Bell. <laughs> Dahlia, yeah, Dolly Bell Dalu, is great. Malcolm X Bell. Just keep throwing names in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm just a white dude who's bad with names. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about someone uh, I've come to really admire. I only found out about them really in the last few months. And that's because they were kind of intentionally erased from history. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, hey, listen, I have a history degree. And that does not sound like something that anyone has ever done. <laughs> we have the most accurate record of events from human beginning to now. Yeah, it's the Just Bible. Just saying, how yeah. dare you say that anything's been hidden? No. The Bible even tells us about the future. Yeah, no, it's... Well, this is in the footnotes. This is from one of the footnotes oh, okay. of the Bible. Okay, yeah. I guess I missed it. The, the Apocrypha. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, the the Selmarillion of the Bible or whatever. Oh, right. That word. Fuck that word. Um, <laughs> I would like to, to start us off with... I like to have something in our listeners' forefront while we go through the episode. So there's two quotes I want to read to you. Uh, the first one is from Claudia Jones herself. Uh, the bourgeois is fearful of the militancy of the Negro woman and for good reason. The capitalists know, far better than many progressives seem to know, that once Negro women undertake the militancy of the whole Negro people, and thus of the anti-imperialist coalition, is greatly enhanced. So, so... Damn, that was prophetic. Yeah, so this, that was in 1949. <clears throat> you mean something that people are just, white people are just now talking about as a hot take? <laughs> is that what you're, is that what you're yeah, telling me? Yeah, so that's, that's, yeah, that, that, that's who we're talking about. Okay. Uh, and and I want to I want to follow it up by a quote by someone named Stephen Stephen Jay Gould. Uh, it's a pretty famous quote. I am somehow less interested in the weight and convolution of Einstein's brain than in the near certainty that people of equal talent have lived and died in cotton fields and sweatshops. So, listeners at home, as we're going through the story, I want you to keep kind of those two quotes in mind. Part of the reason, basically, that black women have been kept out of a lot of progressive movements is because of just how effective they fucking are. Mm-hmm. And listen, we want to look like we're doing the work, but <laughs> it's embarrassing when you actually do it. Uh, yeah. There was tear gas. I gotta go. I gotta go. That was me in 2020. Sorry. <laughs> I'm and very sorry. The other thing I want people to have in the forethought is that, like, there are a lot of people who could be amazing, but were denied it because of circumstance. Stories like this didn't just happen in the 40s and 50s. This happens all throughout history. Mm-hmm. It's still going on. I think some contemporaneous events will definitely pop up into mind as we go in. Yeah, like for context, I didn't know about most black abolitionists till I took a college course on abolitionism. And I didn't find out about black women in any sort of way 
until like I found out years later who started the Me Too movement and who started uh, the yeah. the call to cancel R. Kelly and all this stuff. And like, and then every time you peel back a layer, like I found out that self care was from a black woman, a black lesbian woman, yeah. and it was about politics. It had nothing to do with fucking bubble baths, and it just it pisses me off. Oh no, you're fine. So and scientifically, we didn't feel pain until like the mid '60s. Yeah, that's fucking wild. But- that's so. Fucking <clears throat> Which also wild. means there's still there just because of the way shit works, that means there's also still doctors walking around thinking that way. I, I can't remember the exact statistic, but you can look it up, but there's studies that show that black women are prescribed like epidurals and shit less regularly than white women because like they can they can yeah, handle the pain. Can take it. Oh. Well and women are also uh, yeah. not taken seriously about their pain. So then black women, it is safe to say <laughs> have the fucking shortest end of the stick on this one. Oh, and that's where we're gonna that's where we're gonna get to today. I wanna explore a little bit of older history than that. Uh, Claudia Jones was born, let me double check the date, the twenty first of February in nineteen fifteen in Port of Spain, Trinidad and Tobago. Damn. So uh, let's give a little history lesson on that area. I'll go as quickly as I can. The Caribbean, that entire region is settled about 7,000 years ago or so by people who have come from Northeast South America. So kind of where Brazil will end up, but also uh, uh, Guatemala, I think. But I don't know geography. That, that's fine. You could have said Iceland and I would have gone with you. I went to the State <laughs> Geography B Championship as a kid. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't remember any of that shit. My well, par- yeah. My parents both showed up and it traumatized me because I was like, oh, this is what's going to happen anytime I succeed. It's going to be about you guys. All right. Uh, I'm never succeeding again. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, those people, uh, the people come from Northeast South America, uh, colonize the uh, Caribbean and over a course of maybe four to five waves of civilization, the cultures change. I think it's interesting to note that the cultural shifts that occur in this time don't occur the way they seem to occur in Europe. A lot of European and uh, kind of Eurasian in general, uh, statecraft changing is based on warfare. Like, Dahlia kills all my people, now we're Dahlia land. Rochelle attacks Dahlia's people, but Dahlia retaliates and kills D- Rochelle's people, and now we're all Dahlia land. That's fair. What seems to happen regularly, not every time, there is some warfare, but a lot of times people just show up that are better at doing stuff, and the other people die off or integrate with the new society. That makes sense. Or, or sometimes what happens is you'll both kind of inhabit an island, and the other people just aren't as good the, the old-fashioned people aren't as good, or maybe the old people are good at doing shit and the new people have cool tools and they integrate with each yeah, other. Yeah, you just join yeah. the new group. Uh, the mask. Which isn't to say that there's not warfare. There's totally, like, mm-hmm. like one of the theories of how these places might have been settled is that the empires that are being created in South America keep pushing people away. And so instead of going to the hills, like you'll see in China and a lot of other places, they're like, actually, if there's an ocean between us, you can't you can't ride up and conquer us with an ocean in the middle. We got a lot of view of you coming towards us um that, that's a good strategy until the europeans show up yeah, yeah. <laughs> um have you get have, have you heard of a, a guy named christopher columbus yeah he had this con that he was trying to pull on the spanish empire where he's like i've got a shortcut to the indies because that's where spice is and everyone wants food that doesn't taste like rancid meat and it turns out he was wrong but he needs to like people cup- do like the taste of <laughs> 
have me. That's what I heard too. That's yeah. he he tried that proposal first, but then what he was like was okay. So they don't have spices there, but they do have gold and slaves. And the Spanish were like, we really really wanted spices, but gold and slaves and land are pretty good, I guess, when you can't do that. Um, one of the this begins the Colombian exchange, which actually kind of helps on both ends. Even though there's a genocide in the Americas that occurs, because there's a certain amount of food stability that occurs after this. Because from America, you get like uh, potatoes and corn and uh, I think carrots and a few other oh, so much food. Yes, yeah. so so many things that we here. eat now. Yeah. came from like the, the, the Americas. Yeah, and then America got like horses and dandelions. So not not the fairest of exchanges, but there and are smallpox. And smallpox. We got syphilis though. But they did right? get right or was syphilis no syphilis was in Europe, right? See, no, no, yeah, it's, syphilis it's, is syphilis class. syphilis no syphilis is believed I think you're the right right. That's oh. one of the ones that's believed to have come from the Americas. Because they had like gonorrhea and all the other ones. Damn. And then this new thing shows up after Columbus. In fact Columbus died without a nose, if I remember right, because he had like gonorrhea or something like so, that fell off and he had a hear me out though i really like that male colonizers died of syphilis like i'm just that feels you brave good. a good point that feels very yeah. good a lot of a lot of spanish dudes dying in puddles of their own fluids and then why don't we talk about that more like that oh yeah no. yeah we are. But that's that's going to be a mission of this podcast is to talk it's more syphilis. about all the stuff syphilis. that was just erased. I'm going to make I, one of the episodes I plan on doing is just how fucked up the Spanish Empire was and all the groundwork it laid for like America and shit. One of the other things they introduce is uh, chattel slavery and the style of farming that the Europeans have where you just cultivate mass areas. One of the things the Americans really do is game management versus domestication. It's the idea like in the Pacific Northwest, they looked around and were like, well, Salmon are key to the food chain and trees are key to the ecology. So we're going to make sure and, and keep those as healthy and vibrant as possible and everything else will thrive and then we'll always have what we need based on that. Whereas the Europeans were like, well, there's a bunch of us crowded in this dirty, piss, shit-filled city and we need as much food as possible so we don't die of diseases. So they produce a different style of farming that they bring over with them to the colonies, which changes the nature of how the islands are farmed to shortcut about 500 years of history the colonies go through the hands of like the spanish to the french to the dutch to the french again i think and then back to the english so by the late 1800s when england is getting rid of slavery finally in all of their colonies and all of their principal holdings it comes to the caribbean up until that time the caribbean has been used as both a breaking ground and a like punishing ground for slaves. Fresh slaves being kidnapped and arriving from Africa show up in the Caribbean and are processed to be shipped north if you're the worst, uh, the worst, like the worst behaved. Air quotes on that one. Lots of air quotes on that one. <coughs> Should very much clarify. Worst behaved is air quotes. Um, you're sent further and further south because the system is just that much worse. We talked about it in the Civil War episode, how it's consistently changing 90% of the population in places like Haiti. One of the things that's unique to Trinidad and Tobago is that uh, even though the native population does die off dramatically, there's a consistently strong, steady population that stays. Because of the nature of the things that are farmed and mined in Trinidad, you can't actually do slavery year-round the way you do in other places. So you actually have a more seasonal version where people are, like, let go and new... Seasonal slavery. Yeah. It's, it's like a ski hill? It's like Amazon, I guess, where they're like, hey, you, you can be let go or 
whatever or we don't care because we're a processing center for slaves so they'll always be coming and going but it means that the the consistently like 90 percent of the population that's slave in other places is only about a third to two-thirds at the most in trinidad and tobago in that whole area, something I didn't touch on was the fact that a lot of the white population is also dramatically migratory because you're only going to the colonies to make money and take that money back. You'll sell your shareholdings or whatever in a plantation or business to whoever wants to do the same thing, and then you take all your money and go back to the mainland. It's the shittiest It's almost share. like capitalism and slavery are the same thing. It's, yeah, it's <laughs> weird how those things... It's weird how those things are tied together. It's so weird. And it's also, it's, it's like, like you're not doing, a lot of people will get suckered in and lose money for they can't manage. But no matter what, nobody is staying, most of the white people aren't staying there even if they can't afford it. Because when the Spanish come in, they set in this kind of code of, uh, color code system of who's officially a part of the empire and who's important. And it kind of sticks even after uh, Spain goes away. So there's this classism thing that goes on where if you're white and from a colony, you're less important than if you're white and from whatever the mainland is. So most of the whites that show up in the colony, your two options are be head honcho of a small pool or try to gamble your way out. So it's, it's this weird thing where it's like, a consistently transitory population, but a lot of people are are also maintaining a kind of, what's that thing, like integrated home. People are, are staying there consistently because it is seasonal. You still need people there in the seasons that are off. It, it's very, not homogenous, but it's definitely much more integrated than a lot of other cultures are. And one of the things is when you get rid of slavery, in America, we do all this crazy shit that ends up leading to Jim Crow and basically re-perpetuating it. So it's sort of like if you have a pool that has deep end and a shallow end and you take out the wall that separates them and you put in like a net, right? And people still won't be able to pass between the space and they're, they're distinctly marked off, but maybe the water flows. Whereas in the Caribbean, it's much more like how the shallow end and deep end are really kind of cordoned off by like a buoy that you don't bump your head on. That's how wealth is. So it actually is a little bit more capable of moving racially up and down. So there are moderately poor whites and moderately rich African uh, Caribbeans, I guess, in this case. And so it's that's the society that she is born into, but that society has come to its economic end by the late 19-teens, early 1920s, because now that the colonizers are gone, now that all of the resources have kind of been extracted, it's the same situation a lot of other places in the Caribbean are left in, where you, you have no jobs, no resources, anything that's being ran is being ran as kind of a, a way to pay debt to an empire that's charging you for colonizing you. Mm -hmm. So there's rampant poverty and hunger all over the place. And this is what she grows up in for the first eight or nine years of her life. How did, like, Caribbean islands, how did they compare to Haiti at that point? Um, they Haiti are... in the Caribbean. Well, but, so was she, Haiti? what island was she on? I'm she sorry. was on, if I remember right, oh, crap, I always, I get Trinidad. Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah, they are two separate islands. I don't, let's see. It's... Well, because, like, I just think about Haiti all the time because, like, they were the first, like, free state, but they got punished by the entire world yes. state. And so I, I, I guess For I was wondering benchmark. Where benchmark. Were. Okay. Well, but yeah, I got, I, okay. Benchmark where they are is, is Haiti is still suffering economically worse. Like overall, it will always suffer kind of the worst as, as air quotes punishment for being the one place to be like, uh, no, 
Um, yeah. But other places, I would say, like, poverty levels, everybody's hungry. Um, the Caribbean is more... Uh, uh, or not the Caribbean, sorry. Trinidad and Tobago are more white. There's also, thank you, that reminded me of another thing that happens, uh, which is right before the colonies are over, part of Britain's plan for their armed forces is they do the same thing every empire has done, which is you take the best tools from any given kingdom and add them to your toolkit. So when India or when yeah, when India is taken over by England, you'll get a lot of like platoons of men who are moved around and then given a chance to retire. So there's a huge Indian population in Trinidad and Tobago because they were given the spot to settle. So you have like it's one of the most integrated culturally places because you have Indian uh, in the the mm. subcontinent sense, you have native peoples who are still there, you have uh, imported slaves, you have people from colony traditions. So it's it's more. I, I assume it's an actual melting pot. Yeah, it kind of sounds like New Orleans, probably. Yes. Yeah. If Haiti, I guess I guess Haiti is Detroit and it's New Orleans. If I can pull yeah. from the cultural kind of concept concept okay. of both of those places, that, that was a really good comparison. I, I try. Yeah. yeah. My my therapist says I'm really good at drawing comparisons. Who's the Haitian Eminem? And I'm sorry I had to say it. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I'm very very sorry. Tay you, Ty. Yes, you. Yes, you. Quit looking around and making it weird. You. It's PTP. I'm breaking the fourth wall. I can do that thanks to the magic of editing. Every time you hear the show go it's because we derailed the conversation so hard I had to just kind of put a stop in the recording. Now if you want to catch what you missed uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash recyclables and find the episode that's a patron exclusive called Cut from Claudia Jones. Besides patron exclusives, you'll also get early access. And you might win a painting now and again. That's a thing we do. All right, back to the show. All right, are we... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're ready. Let's back, back in. All right, so that is Trinidad and Tobago as Claudia Jones comes to grow up in them until about the age of eight or nine. Because uh, her parents moved to New York, Harlem, they get jobs, they save up money, they move her, her aunts, and I, I'm unclear on if she has siblings. It just says she migrated with her family, and the book that I used mainly for source on this one was much more about her philosophies and writings, so the biography information I looked up is a little... A little and, and that I don't know if there are siblings, and I don't know if they're kids, specifically. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like touching on her love life, but she has a love of life like she goes through men and there's this there's oh. a point when she's like in her 30s where she she starts dating a dude because another dude refuses to accept that like she wants to be her own like it's it's strong independent woman she's great i love it her it was affirmative polyamory yeah like, <laughs> like it was... oh you don't think it's gonna happen here <laughs> uh. So at age nine, she moves to New York. And the reason they moved to America is because um, for about 150 years, uh, including before the Civil War, America's propaganda or, or kind of commercial out of the world is anyone can come to America and as long as you work hard and try hard. This, this gets spread all... The idea of American exceptionalism is kind of sold across the globe. And that's really what pulls so many immigrants to us. Because, Suckers. Yeah. Because no other place has this idea. No, no other place has this promise 
that you can show up and and you matter especially in the early 1900s because you're you're still dealing with a lot of nation states that are some fashion of like parliamentary monarchs so it's a lot of like kaisers and earls and like just a lot of people inheriting their titles and then you hear about there's no cats in america like so you go to america and then you find out oh no no they have cats like they have they even have cats that dress as rats it's crazy And there's also these rat hybrids. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and her parents get to work right away. This is also during the early 20s. New York and Harlem in particular is going through the Harlem Renaissance. And they are actually very accepting of... In this time, the identity of black is really based on, did your ancestors used to be slaves? Cool, you're black. It's not this kind of... There is... I, I've read a lot of stuff, so this isn't exactly my words. I apologize if saying stuff out of turn but there's apparently a very distinct notion between american blackness Mm -hmm. and kind of transatlantic blackness now but at the time these identities were very interwoven especially because in the 20s a lot more people uh from the caribbean region are migrating into america and integrating into the black communities one of the things that i think is important and that she really benefits is during this time they are really focusing on something called the talented 10 percent And it's this idea that in black culture, to integrate into white culture, probably only 10% of people are going to make it. Mm -hmm. But if we give those people as much support and we follow their lead as much as possible, they can pull us all up with them. And then suddenly it'll be... We still do that shit. I was just thinking about that, especially when you're on TikTok, and especially this month, it's a lot about elevating black voices and the big creators that you should follow and stuff like that. So... And it's it, it. I'm on social media too. It, it starts with I. I'm I'm just going to use W. E. B. Du Bois' name because that's the one I know for sure. There's a lot of really smart people from this era who do a lot of really good, interesting writing. The only kind of critique of this philosophy. Really, Du Bois, you get right. Du Bois. Yeah. Of all the names, of well, of all the easy names. How is it spelled? Is it D U B O I? It's spelled as it's spelled like Du Bois. But it's pronounced Dubois for reasons. Okay. Yeah, well, he's just interesting because he hits the end of one era of kind of uh, black politics and history. And another era starts with him at the same time. So he's this like weird bridge yeah. between like, and he, he ends up leaving the country, if I remember right, to, to he gets like elected president of Guana, Guana, Ghana, Ghana. Uh, but that's a whole, he, he could be his own whole episode yeah. for sure. But um, one of the real critiques of that philosophy, though, is you're integrating into white supremacist capitalistic society, which means that eventually really only 10% are going to succeed. You're never really going to be able to fully pull people up. There starts to begin the distinction of a class divide in black communities mm-hmm. that hadn't existed the same way before. A.K.A. respectability. And a lot of that politics comes about in the 20s as well. So it's this double-edged sword of, like, it does really, really great things. But because of the system that it's trying to integrate into is awful, it's never going to succeed as well. But one of the things that I think is interesting, or one of the things I think it really does do, though, is it, at the time, especially in the 20s, doesn't pick the the 10% that are already succeeding. It's saying, we know only a certain percent of people will, so we're going to push as many people to succeed as we can. So there's a general push, especially with this new influx of Caribbean people, to be like, let's make sure our kids are as educated as possible. Mm -hmm. Let's make sure that they're learning how to survive in this society that they're being pushed into. 
the problem that ends up happening highlights a point we make a lot, that the bad guys are intersectional. They will allow an oppressed minority to become capitalists the same way they will allow poor white trash, because it doesn't matter to them. Mm-hmm. It's about whoever's on top staying on top. They're intersectional in that they don't care who's on bottom, like, as yeah. long as it's not them. There is... And the only way to rise to the top is to become the monster itself. And then if you are the monster that looks like the people that you're trying to oppress, it's a lot easier to be like, I'm one of you, so it's okay that I hate you. Yeah, it's really hard to keep your hands clean. And it's, it's, I I think you're right that it's, the, the problem is you're trying to become the monster, but the methods aren't wrong because it does help mm-hmm. a lot of people. It, it, literacy amongst... Oh, in theory, it's great. It's the thing I've said a bunch of times, which is like every political system works until people get involved. Like <laughs> a dictatorship is great until you're like, oh, humans are awful. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, oh, yeah, okay. But at the time, it does a lot of good, especially for Claudia. It helps her really push her education. So even though when she is 14, her mother passes away and it requires her to start working a little bit herself to support the family. She is also the, she ends up getting tuberculosis when she is 17 and has to miss like a lot of school. It ends up complicating her health for the rest of her life. Uh, She'll have heart complications in the future. And that's a thing that's common amongst people who have uh, lung and breathing issues because you need, you know, oxygen in your blood. And that's why vaccines are dope. Because you don't want tuberculosis. I just go in and I tell them, just hit me up. (laughs) I'm like, what you got? It's like you go to the dispensary, but it's for vaccines. Like, all right, what do we got? What do we got? What's the most potent vaccine you got today? And it's, I mean, it's also unfortunate because she didn't, she didn't have to catch tuberculosis, but the conditions of New York winters and the conditions that black people are forced to live in at that time are just terrible. And so she's, it's that thing I like to say about people catching COVID. You, you were, she was given tuberculosis by by a fucked up system that didn't care. Um, But she still perseveres and becomes the first member of her family to graduate from high school. Unfortunately, because of the cost of attendance, her family was not allowed to attend. So she had to like walk across stage alone. You had to pay to go to. Gra- I, I mean, I, I would. Oh, my yeah, guess. I guess there were tickets for my grant. I don't know. That yeah. was a traumatizing. And time. and like who knows what bullshit. And they will add ta- bullshit taxes for black people all the time. Like they'll be oh, like, oh, yeah. you're black. It costs you a quarter because I want a quarter because that's extortion. And true public schooling is a pretty new thing in and of itself yeah it was because she benefits from she ends up also i forgot to mention this, she gets a franklin roosevelt like citizen of the year award because she is oh wow yeah she's very civically minded even from an early age and like considers her community quite a bit and that can be traced to those uh, caribbean roots because a lot of those communities when you don't have money you have each other yeah. and so you figure out how to do shit and you bring some of that mentality with you when you migrate north and it integrates itself into the the black community that is forming itself because also like the black community in new york in the early 20s it's not brand new, but the idea of having wealth and control is new. Mm-hmm. And that's what ends up sparking one of the fucking worst eras of American history. The Red Summer uh, happens while she's in America. It's what could, I think, be described as a pogrom against black people in America because they accumulate wealth. Mostly middle class whites who kind of rally up the pores and are like, it, it's it's a thing that happens a lot throughout American history. Like right now? Yeah. 
<laughs> there are middle class people who are like, well, I'm doing well, but I can see how I could be doing worse. And I need to take advantage of as many people as possible. And if all the poors figure out that we could all be middle class, that's a problem for me. So, um, race riots. Yeah, fun. Um, I hate that the soundbite I have in my head is like Cartman saying race war from South Park. I hate that. Well, it's, Why did South Park ruin my brain? It pisses... Hartman's voice. I still love you. It pisses, so it pisses me off because as a kid, I was taught that it was like all poor whites doing this shit. That it was... In that oh, it, seriously? In that it was like us coming up with the idea and us being the hateful ones. And oh, us, yeah. Us no. being the perpetrator. Y'all were pathetic. Yeah, that's it. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's most of what we did. Y'all never had shit. That's... Yeah, and like it's so... But like my... But your the education system does not give you an opportunity to see systemic and so racism as anything other than shitty poor white people doing it. And so like, like that's, that's what I saw too. And so we we never like I never thought rich people for the long a lot of my growing up childhood I was like, well rich people can't be racist because they're rich. Like that's like you you can't be racist and make that's money. That's where but, the racism is coming from. The racism what? is coming from inside the dollar. Yeah. But nine year old Pat doesn't know that. Yeah. Like, no I think I might have understood. And that's some how of the that. theory works. That's yeah. why it's so effective. Is you, you, yeah, you scare up the in the the economic because it's also the depression. That's one of the other things that leads to the 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 this fucking everything awful. Um, is well, yeah. Sorry, the people at the bottom of the totem pole are always the ones that are going to be the most fucked whenever the yeah. shit hits the fan. We saw it during this pandemic as well. And it's and it's it's a thing where you're like it's. You point to one group of people, in this case, black people, and you say it's their fault, poor whites, that you're poor. And you point to poor whites from from the black perspective and be like, it's only ever them doing anything. It wasn't. I tried to stop the poor whites, but I couldn't. Yeah. My money, my money wasn't enough. They're just rabid and unstoppable. And that also kind of, I guess the point I was getting to that just struck me is that that's kind of a thing that's, because that's taught to poor whites, we're like, well, it must be all our fault. And that's why you get people who are like, it can't be my fault. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm oppressed too. <laughs> um, but to understand actual privilege, Claudia wasn't able to go to college after high school because she couldn't afford it. Even though college was free, you still have to get like books, you still have to pay some amount mm -hmm. of tuition. Uh, and also like... One of the things that is going on that's really hard for people in a modern age to understand is the systemic denial that is done to black people and women, black women in particular, when it comes to jobs. And back in the day, it would just blatantly be like, whites only mm -hmm. is a great way to say all of these people are excluded. I don't know, that's just how a form of privilege works. As you know, you can read the want ads and know you can get a job if you want. Yeah. As opposed to someone else going, can't get, can't get, can't get, too far away, cool, it's gonna, like, it might be death to me, fun. Um, she works a lot of jobs. She starts off, I guess, as a seamstress, but moves her way to retail. But she does do two things in particular that kind of spark her creativity as she goes along. She joins a drama club, so she continues to, like, do plays and skits, 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 yeah, yeah, the words, skits. <laughs> Put, you should put that in your act. <laughs> I should. I love that phrase. Skitches and skits. Uh, but she also gets a column in the Harlem Journal called Claudia's Comments, where she begins to formulate a lot of her ideas of the experience of being a young black woman worker in America 
during like right before so she's doing all sorts of shit yeah. yeah and and she's doing this like right before she's interesting because she's always speaking out for peace worldwide but she is fine with war against germany because it's it's fucking fascism right yeah and so it's it's this interesting thing where throughout her life she will do a lot of work advocating for peace and and she'll even advocate that we don't necessarily have to go to war to solve hitler there's a lot of other things you can do but if we have to go to war we have to go to war but she's involved with a lot of peace work and at the time that scene like even more so than now we were talking about the dixie chicks earlier she's like a fan of the dixie chicks in the 90s by advocating for peace during world war ii and during korean war oh it was in the 2000s because it was after bush was president that they got into big trouble I know it was during because she was they I was just listening to a thing about it. they were like we're all they said was we're embarrassed to be from the same oh, yeah. state as oh, George yeah. W. And that got blown up into they don't support. Yeah, the, there was like CD destroying rallies. Oh, yeah, yeah, it got it was um, a and lot. It was banned on most country state like their music was banned on most country stations. Because they're big on freedom of speech. For, yeah, they love free speech. <laughs> sorry, 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 Pat. Yeah, you're fine. Hey, breaking the fourth wall again. I'll bet you, you almost fell for it, but you you probably didn't. Listen, it doesn't matter if you did or not. I just want to say thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, these take a long time to research. They take a long time to edit, and they take a fair amount of time to record. And it really means something that you're going to sit here and listen to this and learn something and maybe share the information you get with your friends. And that means something to both myself and Rochelle. So I just thought I'd take one of these little interludes and say thanks. Really appreciate you listening. Get on back into the show now. There you go. Uh, because at this time, communism, specifically the communism that is occurring in Russia, has not become the authoritarian dictatorship. It still looks pretty dope. Yeah, it's still, it's it's advocating for women's rights. It's advocating for workers' rights. It's advocating for black people's rights, too, mm-hmm. on, a, on a national, uh, like, no place else is doing that at this time. So she's... No, it's like you were saying earlier, politics become bad when people get involved. Yeah. And, like, in the beginning, because communism, you look at the math, it solved a lot of problems. Early Leninism great. was... And, and that is actually specifically what she is into. And to listener Cecilia, I promise at some point we will do an episode about Marx and all of his theories. But to put things real simply and succinctly, Marx thinks that the history is operated on a narrative that goes from kind of primitive cultures into feudalism, into industrial societies, which become capitalist nations, and that those need to be pushed into socialism before becoming communist states. Lenin comes along and is like, the big thing that Marx forgets is he forgets women. Uh, he forgets people of color. He forgets colonialization. Actually, so he forgets, forgets inter- intersection and isn't really big on Jews. Yeah, he's he's got a lot of problems. There's that little. <laughs> what I think communism and socialism really are, they are philosophies more than anything else. It's important because Marx forgets all these people of of color, of gender, of different nationalities. He even forgets the peasants. Like, Marx is really focused on people in factories being the only people. So working class. He's not thinking about yeah. the homeless. And and Lenin comes along and it's like, well, peasants matter, women matter. And in the future, Mao will come along and add, like, landlords are also evil or whatever his yeah. thing is. I don't know Mao very well, so I'm not even gonna not even going to pretend to go into that. But the important part is that when she's 18 or 19, she joins this philosophical movement. 
right? Like it's not what we think of communism, the baggage we have with it. It's this idea that the Soviets, which is just a word that means worker communes, worker collectives, have figured out a way to work towards communism, which is specifically the idea that people will own the factories and run the government. It won't be a state and capitalist. It'll be us. It'll be yeah. ours. It won't be capitalist, but it would be more like pure democracy exactly. than anything that has ever existed. Yeah. In theory and what it looked like. And a lot of people in this time are seeing it kind of the way a lot of people are talking about defund the police now or, or mm. Black Lives Matter movements where it's it's about a philosophy more than about any individual one action. Because we can all three say we're on board with defund the police, but I guarantee even amongst the three of us, we'll probably have some very specific ideas of what that means, yeah. even if they <laughs> intersect. And that's what communism is in the like 1924 era, 1930s era. And it's also this thing where like communists will bicker with socialists who will bicker with anarchists who will bicker mm -hmm. with sindo anarchists who will yeah. bicker with social communists who were nihilists are, around back then. They were yeah. everywhere. Oh yeah. They had ferrets. It was a whole thing. Really? The, no, Is that a thing? no. I was just trying to uh, allude. Lebowski. Yeah. Lebowski. Was... Okay. I'm just saying. I would love. I love the idea of like ferret people and nihilists overlapping. Um, political nihilism was 1920s. Okay. Yeah, there was a guy with like a real specific mustache who had some very nihilistic ideas about politics. <laughs> Charlie Chaplin. He was a problem. But today's episode not about Charlie Chaplin. It's about uh, Claudia Jones. She joins the, like I said, she joins the Communist Party. Oh, but part of the reason she joined the Communist Party, there's a very famous case, it also deserves its own episode, called the Scottsboro Boys Incident, which I will now sum up as quickly as possible and probably pretty grossly miss some details. But basically, following the Depression, uh, there's no work anywhere. So just gangs of people load up on trains, like like hop hop on the trains as they're going by, like uh, like we have them. Yeah, and they'll go from town to town and try to find jobs and hop <laughs> on the train and leave. But even then, it's fucking segregated. So you have white hobos and black hobos. Well, the white hobos try to beat up the black hobos because they don't want to compete with black hobos for jobs, and they fail in their attack and they get their asses handed to them so they go to the police in this alabama town and they're like we got we got attacked by all these folk over we're the there. good homeless people yeah <laughs> and so the police go to round them up of course most of them flee or try to get away at the same time two white women get off of the train uh in roughly the same compartment as the black men mm. and Turns out, uh, to spoilers for that episode, they're prostitutes and they've crossed state lines and they don't want to be they don't want to be sent to jail or arrested. So they say we were raped by black men. At the time, that is basically that was a solid legal defense at the time. For and anything, it and still is. That's your that's base. Awesome. Th those I'm are also sorry. the I'm basic so ingredients of a lynching. Like yeah. that's that's how that gets started. So you get. Terrorist organizations have re have kind of they've turned into more liberal organizations than they used to be. They're much more pyramid scheme by this time, or that's later. Yeah, the later KKK is the pyramid scheme. So it's these it's these weird like family. It's these weird like traditional home brewed hate groups that don't have a vast network like they used to have during uh, the Civil War episode. Yeah. Oh, and it won't like... be the pyramid scheme that we sell. It's like micro brews, but of <laughs> it kind of sounds like white paramilitary groups before like widespread communication yeah and so artisanal white supremacy oh my 
And so... I'm from Montana, the Freeman. Yeah, yeah, they have their own mm, piney taste. Yeah. <laughs> fucking what shit. Sheep. So the 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 Scottboro boys are the boys who are eventually arrested. There's a lot of cool stuff that does happen. There's a sheriff that stands up for them. There's a judge that stands up for them. The boys that are caught range in age from 12 to 20, if I remember right. The youngest one ends up being acquitted in, in the first trial because they can't decide if he should get life in prison or executed. And they're like, yeah, we'll just get him later. He's free to go. And so he doesn't, he, get, he, gets, he gets a mistrial because they can't decide how to punish That's him. So Our wild. legal system is solid. That would make n- literally no sense because it's like, hey, there's these two really bad options we give you. Because we can't den- decide on either of those, you're going to get let go? That doesn't sound, that sounds like, that sounds like Monopoly's get out of jail free card, which does not exist for people who are not rich and white. And I'm very confused. Yeah. The legal system's really quite broken and they're... Oh my God. And it was way, way broken in an entirely different way. I'm happy for him. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm also confused. I think another one of the people ends up getting released in a similar matter. There's like a dozen, the numbers vary. It starts off as like the the whole car full of people. There are weird laws where things slip through the cracks. And it's. And like you can get acquitted, not because you're innocent, because that would be being declared innocent. Acquittal's usually something really random and nitpicky. Oh, and like like you forgot. The reason rich people get away with so much is they like have somebody who can be... Yeah, yeah. He, can... he got out because they, they broke the rules to arrest him. Yeah. Like, he most definitely is guilty of the crime, but it doesn't matter because of yeah. the circumstance. And I what... guess it's just wild, though, because like it's not that they didn't find this guy guilty. It's that they couldn't decide how they wanted to hurt him. Exactly. And that's why it's especially confusing. Yeah. (laughs) And this brought me to a point where I think there is targeted oppression, and then there's just like, we just want to be shitting in a confusing way. And that's like the confusing way. Well, it's it's also weird because it's like, if you're rich, you just pay somebody to find one of these loopholes for you because eventually somebody, it's oops all loopholes if you're rich. And then if you're poor, it's also like, well, we'll just get you later. Like, well, you're you're young, black, and in Alabama. We'll find something in a month. We'll get you next week. Yeah. Like, so I, 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 I do agree with you. It's like confusing but sort of a win for this kid. Yeah. Uh, they a end really up... backhanded win. <laughs> and they end got up... off on a technicality. <laughs> and they, they end up getting charged, trialed, and sentenced. And then their case gets appealed in the Alabama Supreme Court. And even the Alabama Supreme Court is like, look, you hired a mentally disabled person and the town drunk to be their defense lawyers. You had an all-white jury... Right. And you, some of these, you don't actually have witness statements. You just have a witness account. You just have we hearsay. Need plausible deniability. Yeah. At least. You need to at least pretend like the, the <laughs> thing. Yeah. And so they go back, they get actual uh, lawyers at this point, and they have the choice between kind of the proto uh, NAACP and the Communist uh, Party of America, and they go with the Communist Party of America to support their legal defense. And I don't like. It, it's not said anywhere, but I think some amount of it is like, well, communists are usually white, so maybe they can talk white better. Like, maybe they'll, like, so, but it, I, I don't know how much of that is true. That could just be me interjecting my own fucking bigotry into the story. Anyway, because of their support for the Scottsboro Boys, who a number of them will eventually end up serving time. Uh, the oldest one lives to, like, 1989. There's, there's, it's, it's worthy of its own episode. We could definitely do a thing because it impacts a lot of other history. But how it impacts Claudia is that the more she writes about it, kind of the more she rises 
in the Communist Party. Once she's in, she's in. She's like, oh shit, you guys are the solution to what's happening to black women workers. Because as a black person, I feel a particular kind of oppression. As a woman, I deal with additional oppressions. And as a worker, there's even more. And when I'm oppressed by all three, it's like a fucking Voltron of oppression over it's here. It's exhausting. That's why my mom was a communist. And she, she puts Jehovah's her... Jehovah's Witness and a communist? My mom's unique. That's that's a fun one to pull off. I just like you. They're they're showing up to your door, and <laughs> like no matter like, what, they're knocking on your door. The, anytime I learn new things about your life, I'm just like, oh my god, this makes so much more sense. And not because I get it, but because more I'm like, oh, I still don't even get it. Because <laughs> like imagining a Jehovah's Witness and a communist at this. That's awesome and wild. Like yeah. they're both about communities, but they're about very distinct kind that's of community. Because Jehovah's Witnesses are anti-government and anti, okay. like they take a very literal take on the Bible. So they are opposed to financial institutions generally as well. So my mom, being a black nationalist communist, those are the things that appeal to her. Not the weird, hyper-Christian morality part huh. that appealed to my dad. I know a lot of anarchist Christians. Like it's, oh, it's, yeah, yeah, Christian anarchy is like, a massive I, movement. Like it's, it's a similar ideology of just, like, I, I, I like 80% of what you're saying, and then you're, like, weird. Fuck yeah. it. Because they're I, like, I, I read the Gospels, and Jesus is clearly... And anarchist syndicalist, so yeah, and he's all about community. That's my vibe. Yeah, like so. I when I was doing my drawing and or like doing the video today, I talked about that. Like where I was like, growing up, I thought Christianity was about community and doing doing what you want done unto you. Yeah, and helping those who need help. But as I got older, I realized that unfortunately, people people expand (laughs) it beyond this, and like. My breaking point was when I was like, you can be gay, but you can't, like, do gay shit. Yeah. And I'm like, that's like telling a Christian, you can be Christian, but you can't go to church, and you can't pray, and you can't tell people you're a Christian. Like, what the fuck? It's almost like it's hypocritical. I've I've always been, like, a both-can-be-true kind of person. And so, like, as a kid, like, I just assumed... I assumed uh, everyone else thought the same way I did. So, like, I was like, oh, yeah, clearly it must, like, Christians must not think this way. It must be, like, four and they have all the media. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, there are four and they have all the media, but they've convinced a lot more. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to read uh, the introduction to the, an end to the neglect of the problems of the Negro I'm woman. Gonna pr- and uh, also, of note, while she's working in the Communist Party, she's also moving up editorially. So she goes from being like somebody who just writes their own maybe weekly column to a person who is writing daily, editing a paper. She's uh, a badass. Yeah, like, um, so, and she's amazing. So she's like the original black superwoman. And mind yeah. you, she's been disabled by tuberculosis. Yeah, at the same time. Oh, yeah. And she's, a- like, and, and that's. People like that make me think, like, well, what am I doing with my <laughs> and, and the crazy part is she's also out giving speeches to thousands of people uh, at the kind of height of her American career. Like, four, one of the accounts I read said, like, 14,000 people came to one of her speeches. So, like, she's getting people out there um, because of shit like this. And I don't was, even have that many followers on TikTok. <laughs> this is pre-TikTok. Although, I mean, you could argue newspapers are kind of the social media of the day, so she oh, is definitely yeah. an influencer in There's that There's always sense. been social media. It's really silly exactly. that we think that... 
but like digital social media was a huge change. Just like the book was a huge fucking change. Yeah. Harriet. Uh, an outstanding feature of the present stage of the Negro liberation movement is the growth in the militant participation of Negro women in all aspects of the struggle for peace, civil rights, and economic security. Sympathetic of this new militancy is the fact that Negro women have become symbols of many present-day struggles of the Negro people. The growth of militancy among Negro women has profound meaning both for the liberation movement and for the emerging anti-fascist, anti-imperialist coalition. That's that's how she fucking starts her, her... So we've always been the threat. Yeah. Is what you're saying. Viewed, uh, to, to read on a little bit more, uh, I won't read the whole quote, but viewed in this light, it is not accidental that the American bourgeoisie has intensified its oppression, not only of the Negro people in general, but of Negro women in particular. Nothing so exposes the drive to fascization in a nation as the callous attitude which the bourgeoisie display and cultivate towards Negro women. 1949. When that is published, Damn. it's something she is advocating all the way up until that point. She coins the phrase super oppression because uh, super hyphen oppression, not like super oppression, yeah. but like because you're being oppressed by multiple. A a as in like intersectional? Yes. And okay. in the future, when Davis and Lord come up with them. I think it's Davis in particular cites Claudia Jones's writings in her her own. She's the one who's imprisoned, or did they both get imprisoned? Uh, Angela Davis. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because she she cites uh, discovering her while in prison or something like that. Hey, you, it's me, Speedy B. Okay, I'm gonna quit being weird. Uh, I want to have what the professionals say is a call to action. I want you to just take a second and whatever you're listening to Recyclables on, give it a like. Like, like thumb it up or heart it or whatever. And if, if you really enjoyed the show, leave a message telling people, hey, this is an incredible bit of journey of poor white trash into poor white recyclables and you should be on it too. Or, or however you would say that. Okay, I, I, hopefully this has been enough time that you, you can get out your phone and do that. I mean, I mean, I literally am hoping, I'm looking at the timer while I talk, and I'm like, all right, at this point, I would be like, okay, I have my phone out. Fine, I'm doing it, PTP, I'm doing it. Five, highest, A+, plus, cool, will you get back to the show already, nerd? Okay, thanks. <laughs> Because this is America, and she is a communist and a black woman, of course the FBI keeps a file on her. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, with, with writing like that. Yeah, uh, that, <laughs> starts, that starts all the way back then. At first, like I said, because communism isn't seen as a big deal, it's just like Jehovah's Witnesses level. Honestly, it's like comparable yeah. in that time. Um, nothing is done, but the more she's writing, the more they're accumulating evidence of her subversion and a need to, air quote, violently take over and install, air quote, a dictator. Oh, thank you for all those air quotes. I needed it. it. It's important to note that the dictator that she's talking about is something Marx calls the dictator of the proletariat. Yeah. Which is the idea, the proletariat is the mass of people. The idea of the dictatorship of the proletariat is rule by the mass of people so it's the idea of like democracy or else 
Mm-hmm. So what she's speaking about is, hey, we need more democracy. But what they're seeing is we want an authoritarian dictator, which is what, I mean, to give them the minusculest of defense, that is what Stalin is doing. Like, yeah. that is absolutely what is going on, yeah. is, is a dictatorship will eventually form. But that's not what she's talking about. She's talking about this philosophy and also this idea that you need to do things like provide childcare. So that if you're going to have women worker, their children have a place to go. So that they are not forced to be both mother and worker. You need to do something about sexual violence and sexual education. So women have a chance to make their own choices and be safe. And you need to focus it on black women because those are the most marginalized people, both as women and black people. Because so much of the family structure in black community Mm. is fixed around the matriarch. Yeah, we're matriarchal. And that, and, and she talks about it in this essay, that has its roots back to slavery because the only way you know who a parent is is through the mother because the mother's also the way you decide who property is. Yeah. And it, we also figured out reproduction before Europe. You mean the homunculus theory isn't accurate? Because <laughs> that's the only way I can sleep at night is pretending that's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> No, and I was thinking of Christian trauma, huge part of purity culture is telling women that their bodies are only for men and need to be saved for men, and that if there's anything wrong with it, you're disgusting and horrible, and you shouldn't learn about it. So it's like keeping women uh, from educating themselves about their bodies so they're more likely to be traumatized and not be able to advocate for themselves when it does happen. And her point is that throughout slavery unto that time, and I think we can pretty consistently argue unto the modern day, black women are particularly punished by that model of thinking for a whole variety of reasons. Oh, yeah. Like, like for example, we will conflate having a bunch of children with promiscuity, whatever, being a slut. Thank you. You said it smarter. But oftentimes what happens is a black woman will just find herself responsible for multiple people's children. It's It's not that, like, she was out there pumping out babies. It's that, like, well... Also, what's She's their access care to of birth control? Kids. Yeah. Also, that. What's part. their access to birth control? And yeah. I mean, we don't need to get into Margaret Sanger right now because I'm still really sad about how horrible she probably and definitely was. <laughs> probably, definitely, yeah. <laughs> so um, she is eventually arrested in 1936, essentially for being a communist. Like that's like they're just like that's that's what she gets charged for. Wait, what year was that? Um, I want let me double check my notes. I believe it was nine. Uh, you got this. I. I we were talking about it earlier about how the the worst part of the show is that I never write down exact numbers. You really have overcome toxic masculinity. I I am definitely doing my best. I only surround myself with men who've done a lot of work. Yeah, like because he's, I can't. He's deal sitting with the here fact checking himself. All right. Um. It is 1948 that she gets arrested. Um, so that makes sense. That's uh, World War Two is winding down. We're seeing that Russia's being sh- shitty because uh, of Stalin. So like. Anti-communism sentiments in the rise. Yeah, and she is also actively speaking out for women. What will eventually become women's liberation? She's also yeah. She's saying all the things nobody. I thought wants that to was hear. only Gloria Steinem. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I thought I thought she was the only one speaking out for she's women's also, issues. But the other thing that she's really that that is a threat I'm so to. Sorry. <laughs> The, the thing that she's doing that is a real threat to the government is she is speaking out against the wars, and we are. Making, oh yeah, you're not supposed to. We're do making that. a lot of yeah. money, and it's it's and building our empire, like yeah, 
it's interesting to me because she's moves up through the communist party and becomes kind of a celebrity like everybody knows about her she ends up serving four terms total four different jail terms total um when she is first arrested she has a heart attack oh. um and it, her health continues to deteriorate while she's in prison um she ends up serving time on ellis island what uh, the hell? And there, well, there's an additional complication to her situation, which is, remember I told you she joined the Communist Party when she was 19? Mm-hmm. And remember how I told you she was born in Trinidad, Tobago? Mm-hmm. You have to become a U.S. citizen. There's a whole process. She had been trying to do that since she was like 19. Uh, and one of the qualifications to being a U.S. citizen since the Communist Party was founded is that you're not a member, nor have you ever been a member of the Communist Party. So the moment she's arrested, they want to deport her or get rid of her. The problem is for them, for white supremacy, for empire in general, she has spoken to crowds of thousands of people. Yeah. She has been a true motivator. If you sent her to Trinidad, Tobago, where there are maybe 14,000 people, you're going to have a revolution. They're not prepared, so they don't know what to do with her. Um, she, Like I said, she ends up serving four sentences. And she's also one of the early people to kind of figure out the trial is theater for the revolution. Uh, she does a lot of things that are um, probably my favorite thing is at one point she's asked by a judge if she can explain the charges against her. She's like, it's illegal to talk about the liberation of women, the oppression of black women, and the fact that the workers of the world should unite and run things. Uh, so I can't actually tell you what my defense is because I'd have to tell you these things that are illegal to say that I just said at the trial. Like, Damn. like just <laughs> classic. I love, I love that shit. Cool. I feel like she's the mother of American radicalism. She's badass. And she's, she, uh, w- one of the more badass things she does, she rarely writes poetry. She's a journalist mostly. Like she's really into writing stories and, and, and philosophy from the looks of, like, as you heard from I that mean, little, yeah. um, but she writes poetry while she's in prison because, because you need to, because you need some form of fucking release and, um, while she's there, at one of the times, I think it's when she's on Ellis Island, she writes a book's worth of poetry, uh, gives one of them to a friend, and destroys the rest in front of her friend, throws it away and leaves, and then on the train ride back home, writes out everything she had just written, because she wasn't going to let the prison have any part of her poetry that she could like she's, so she just memorized them and rewrote them like she but yeah. but but still like like on the train just fucking wrote a book of poetry because she was like fuck prison they i'm not letting them have that it's mine did her and langston hughes ever rub elbows uh maybe is he in that era yeah Yeah. he was a black poet uh born february 1st of 1901 and died may 22nd 1967 so yeah 1901 to 1967 because they were both harlem renaissance well because i remember reading his poetry when i was younger and really liking it so i was like when you were talking about this and talking about her being a poet, I was like, were they friends? You got so excited. That's adorable. That was the thing that was really cool about elementary school is it was okay to be excited about learning. <laughs> and then once it became uncool, I was like, hey, I'm still that person. <laughs> 
No, that's kind of, I mean, that's why I like doing this with you because it's, it's fun to tell you stuff like this. Yeah, I mean, while she's in prison, her health gets continuously worse. Oh, you mean more. because we don't actually take care of prisoners because we don't treat them like Yeah, people. one of the problems is because of her heart condition, she needs a no-salt diet. And they're like, yeah, this is prison. The food's yeah. like all salt. Yeah, that's all it's made Yeah, of. and she's like, well, can I just get like beans or something? Like, can I get can I get something that's not going to kill me the more I eat it? Uh, and the and only like more salt? Yeah. Eventually, though, the communists end up kind of uh, filing enough appeals that she is granted at probation, but they still want to deport her from the country. Eventually, England is like, look, Trinidad is one of our colonies. We'll just fucking take her so that you guys don't send her there and start a revolution. And so she moves to England and she basically hits the ground running. Like she's there for like a month and then she introduces herself to the Communist Party. It's like, hey guys, what's up? And they're fucking assholes. They are, they're, they give her. That doesn't sound like England. Yeah. Well, for one thing, the Communist Party does not have the same influence it has in America. Um, London in particular is more famous for people being exiled to it than anything else happening. Marx is famously buried there because he was exiled from a bunch of other places because they were like, we don't, we don't want workers <laughs> united. They played hot potato. Yeah. yeah. There's also this part where, like, she's a celebrated communist and they're treating her like she's coming in as a celebrity communist. She spent her whole life with the American Communist Party and she's showing up here with 20 plus years of experience. And instead of being like, wow, that's really oh, useful, we learn from they're you. like, oh, that's that, that means you want to take over and do things your way and blah, blah. Like, so it you don't... sounds like stand up. Yeah. <laughs> and so she's... she's that was exactly like Santa. Yeah, she gets a real cold <laughs> bullshit reception. Like, it's their fucking lost. Mm -hmm. Like, like an important thing to note is she does not... She did not like the term deported because deported meant she would have gone back to Trinidad. Uh, she preferred the term exile because she also considered... Which is accurate. And she also considered herself an American. And it's something I actually noticed uh, in, in researching for a Harriet Tubman episode that there is a strong strain of people, particularly black women, who strongly who appreciate the American commercial and know that it can exist, that it can be true. The idea that all people are created equally. If you want to work hard, you deserve something for it. We all should have a space, a vote, and a say. Obviously, that's not what but America... But they fucked up and actually believed it. Yeah, and so, and Claudia's one of these people who's like, no, I actually like the promise of democracy and all that shit. You guys are fucking it up by not updating the software, by not improving. We can have American... Still have a queen? Gross. Yeah, we could have American communism, right? Like, America could do a communism. It would be our way of doing it. It wouldn't be... So, she believes in America. That's why she prefers the idea that she is exiled from the empire as opposed to deported to her homeland. And I think since that's one of her chosen titles, I want to make sure and address it. England does not really treat her like home. Not only does she get a cold reception there, but she doesn't feel at home. She doesn't have a community there. She does over time... Because she's not from there? Yeah. <coughs> Uh, she does overtime forge one. She starts something called the West Indian Gazette, which ends up getting uh, ends up being called a few years later the West Indian Gazette and Afro Asian Caribbean News. Damn, and she cannot stop writing. Those are some intense acronyms. She also can't stop seeing <laughs> ways people intersect because at the same time that she is deported to England in 1950, double check the date for that 1955. Oh, 1950. And at the same time, she's being deported to England in the 1950s. Um, there is a wave of migration from the Caribbean into uh, England 
because as the colonies are shutting down, like, like as colonialism is ending, the, the, na the, the, the Queensland, whatever the fuck you want to call yeah. the empire, looks really promising. And if your economy on your island is shit and the economy on this other island is great, you can go and make some money, live the same crappy quality of life, and send money back to people in your homeland and yeah. give them better lives. The The immigration can be traced almost from one, like, giant freight ship that transports a bunch of Caribbean dudes to... Caribbean dudes? Whatever. To uh, England, and it starts kind of the rise in the population there that will eventually become... Uh, like Black West Indies because it's it's got mm. that integration of people from the Indies in there and Columbus pulling his con game of the, the, the West Indies, Indi India in the West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She meets all those people and at the same time there's also a mass migration of Asian people in general from the Indian subcontinent and from places like China trying to flee just the unrest and communism, trying to flee all the shit America did in Vietnam, Korea, all those places. And so there's a mass migration at the same time she arrives and she starts seeing what is codified as diaspora in multiple groups of people. She is familiar herself with the black diaspora, the idea that people kidnapped from a home and forced to live a new life don't have a homeland, right? And she's also familiar with the Caribbean diaspora of mm -hmm. the same experience, but in the Caribbean, minus America's white supremacy, plus all the complications of living just above South America in a time of kind of constant civil unrest. So they're, they're, it's a different experience. Same thing with the Asian, the pan-Asian diaspora mm -hmm. of the the Chinese experience of being kicked out of your homeland is going to be different. And when you build up these cultures, she's realizing, like, the shit that is happening to people from China because of whatever's going on isn't that different than the shit that is happening to me. And that's why she gives it this long-ass name, because she's like, I want to incorporate West Indians, Africans, Asian people, uh, Caribbean people into this big thing and have them represented in England. It's like the racial so LGBT extremely thing. threatening. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is the last one. I swear, I think I should double check the count. Future PTP, double check the count, and if this is the last one, put it in the last spot. And if it's not, through the magic of editing, we will pretend like this is the last one. Now, can you imagine if you were a small business that aligned with the interests of recyclables, handing us over money and or goods and or services in exchange for mentioning your name over the course of our show with this level of creativity and productivity? Sky's the limit, baby. Uh, but this really was the last commercial break. So back to the show. Finish it out. Thanks for listening. I don't know if you guys know this, but there's also racism in England. Oh, really? Yeah, no, they're, they're big old racist. In fact, in August of 1958, they had what was almost a month-long race riot in the Nottingham area. There, there's also a part called Notting Hill, and they are... One is the rich neighborhood, and once they got to the rich neighborhood, they're like, oh, no, we need to stop our racisms. But basically, like, the poor neighborhood... No right? there was racism in Europe. Yeah, no, it's Shut. just this one time, just that, after that, it was all good. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, no joke, though, like, Europeans act like they're not racist, and I'm like, but hear me out. But they're so good at it. Yeah. Well, it's, Dude, the Dutch in that weird-ass festival they yeah. had. Holy fuck, you know about that, right? Approximately. It's that weird Christmas thing they do yeah. where, where it's like, it's a bunch I of know. people in blackface, yeah. and it's not like, 
it's black paint yeah. and red lips and shit. Like, the Dutch and the French love racism. They do it like nobody else. Well, oh. the, French, the French were like, look, we're going to colonize the whole planet, but we, we, we invented liberty. We invented liberty. Yeah. <laughs> we invented liberty. You so. mean that idea that you guys stole from the Americans that the Americans stole from the British? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's this funny thing that I've, I've read about and heard about happening a bunch of times in the Second World War. We're like, we'll segregate the troops. But other places don't. But they're still racist to the people. They're just like, yeah, but we don't put them in a special spot. Yeah. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, <laughs> so the 1958 Notting Hill race riots are a big deal in English history. They're one of the. There aren't honestly a lot of racial mass violence incidents like that. They do have riots and shit in a whole variety of reasons. Cause I mean, it's kind of their thing. Yeah, it's kind of, they're, they're great at pretending like they're civilized. But in this particular instance, Claudia sees this and she's like, um, this is bad. This is only going to get worse. This is how you end up with an America. So you know what we need to do? Have a carnival. So she throws a carnival in Notting Hill that ends up, continue, it continues for the rest of her life. Uh, to be a huge celebration and yeah. part of part of the tradition of carnival i didn't i didn't research this as much but it was kind of it it started equal parts from like that kind of mardi gras pre-lenten let's go fucking nuts before we have to fast thing mm -hmm. but there was also a number of big jubilant celebrations when slavery ends especially in the caribbean because it is the end of slavery they end up replacing it with like this apprenticeship program that looks roughly the same as slavery but it's the end of slavery. So yeah. there's a huge party that they end up throwing that becomes tradition. Di different places have their different stories and reasons for why they have it. But she's like, the big issue is that the conversation that happens in America and that had been happening for a long time, that black men are violent, they're more likely to be, say, all lies, but the idea that they are a specifically violent group of people is because of a lack of interaction, Claudia thinks. And she's like, if we show them celebrating black lives and having fun, they're not going to have a choice except to see us as humans. And in fact, if we invite them along, which is what happens in all these Caribbean places, like it's an island-wide celebration yeah. when they do carnival. Like it's not the black people do something for the white people. It's like, no, you guys do stuff and we do stuff and y'all do stuff and we'll mix it up. And it's also great for the economy because it's winter in England uh, when carnival happens in January. So you need to rent out spaces. And then you also need to convince businesses to come in and sell shit there. So it becomes this huge kind of integral thing that we were joking that racism is over there. But to a certain degree, the kind of racism you get in England isn't the same it's systemic for sure, but it's not the same cultural racism. And a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that she starts this carnival. Uh, she also has black beauty contest because she's like, you're not, black women aren't told to celebrate their beauty. Mm -hmm. In England, there is no tradition of seeing black beauty in any fashion. We need to do something to humanize ourselves for lack of a better way to yeah. put it. And she spends the rest of her time in England traveling the world on and off. Basically, Ghana is this nation that gets started in Africa by a number of people. W.E.B. Uh, e. Du Bois comes through and visits her. Martin Luther King comes through and visits her. I'm assuming Langston Hughes at some point. Anybody who's going to Africa comes and visits her on their way to Africa. Uh, in England, anyone going really anywhere in Europe stops by and is like, what's up, Mrs. Jones? She's she lives a life I 
admire and would love to have to be like the resting pad for all the cool people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> England is horrible for her health. The the winters are fucking awful. She does travel the world a little bit. She I've does, seen the British. It's... Yeah. <laughs> some of that's the the food. Some of that's the climate. Uh, a lot of that's the inbreeding. But <laughs> she does get a tour of the world and see some of the places where communism has taken hold. To she goes on a world tour and comes back and uh, dies Christmas Eve of 1964. But on her world tour, she was going to write a book about it. So all of her notes are very shorthanded. So we don't know exactly 100% what her thoughts were. She seemed to be a little disappointed in what Russia had become by that yeah. point. Because it was definitely authoritarian. It was the height of the Cold War era. So a lot of repression, a lot of gulag bullshit. She found what Mao was doing promising uh, because I guess he sent he her... He still looked really good at the time. Yeah, and it's this thing that happens to a lot of revolutions, which is once you get successful, you're forced to... Violent revolutionaries are only going to breed violent governments. It's just an unfortunate fact. Yeah. And if you come to power through violence, the end result is the people that supported you were violent. Like, it's 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 just an inherent like, catch to that. But at the time, it's not as bad as it will become. Yeah. And she is very thoroughly impressed with it. And again, she's also seeing... Cuba still looked really good. Yeah. It's before capitalism gets to fuck over communism the most. Yeah. Like, part of the reason the Russian... And I'm not an expert on this, so I'm probably speaking out of school, but part of the reason Russian-style authoritarianism communism fails is because they're trying to compete with capitalism, mm -hmm. which is willing to just kill people off en masse anyhow, but pretend like it's not. So it's like... That's why China got really, really weird. Capitalism is great at pretending there's no problems because you don't see the deaths. Communism is really good at telling you there weren't any deaths to go back to work. Yeah. Like it's... <laughs> well, and, and I think one of the things that was difficult about being a communist state is that it's in direct opposition to capitalism, so all other capitalist nations have no interest in trying to help them succeed. It's it's the economic kind of version of the Haitian issue, where it's yeah. like, oh, exactly. first non-slave state, first communist state, neither of them are going to succeed because the surrounding area has no interest in that succeeding and has a vested interest actually in them failing. And yeah. one of the one of the like tenets to Marxism is the idea that has to be kind of a global yeah. push. You can't have one country is socialist, one is capitalist, one is anarchist, one is communism, because eventually those are different ways of doing things. And if you try to survive as a communist nation in a capitalist world, you can't trade with capitalism without capital. So it's like that thing we always uh, nerds joke about with Star Trek, where it's like, they must get paid somehow, even if they don't have money. Because you deal with the Ferengi and they like money. Yeah. But, uh, it's very confusing. She she seems to have died a peaceful death. Um, apparently, she was going to have a big Christmas celebration, uh, and died in her sleep reading. Um, she was she was reading while asleep. Like 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 fell asleep reading and died. Yeah, all at the same. Know, that's right? multitask. Yeah, so, I mean the woman could not stop. Yeah, the amount of time I'd come home from work uh, in high school and my mom would just be like, with a book like this in her bed. And that's going to be great be like, for the listeners. And she'd be like, I'm awake. Book and I'd be like, you're like... Yeah, book is pillow. I never understand. I've never been able to... F I think maybe once I've fallen asleep reading, but it might have been passed out because of alcohol. 
Um, she was born Claudia Vera Cumberbatch Jones. She died Claudia Jones. America intentionally forgot her. She was exiled so that we wouldn't consider her ideas. So that would be when Dave... They Davis, did a solid job. Yeah. So that, like, it's, it's what, the 60s, late 70s before any of, like, kind of black intersectional feminism is, yeah. is codified in writing. And, and it's important to say just because she was the one to codify it doesn't mean it wasn't there. But she was the first one to be like... Holy shit, you guys. There's We're all a... dealing with the same shit. It's oops oppression all over. And as far as English history is concerned, she's like one of the most... She was voted like the top 25 most influential black women in English history. Because after she dies, the Notting Hill Carnival ends. And then the next year they pick it up in London. Yeah. Like it's a huge, it's a huge celebration because she started it. Uh, And so like, there's like kids songs about, about Claudia Jones that you can find on YouTube on their televisions. Like the same way you, like, you know how Sesame Street will have like a little segment on MLK or whoever. They have a little Mm -hmm. song about how she started the carnival to fight yeah, it the the face you're making, Dahlia, is appropriate for the fact that it's like a little cringe that you're like No, the face I'm making is like our education system is I mean, I guess it's not shitty because it's achieving its goal of not teaching us anything. But it's really shitty about <coughs> what people really should know. Yeah. No, I mean, you have to look at the American education system through the lens of you're not trying to make a thinking, a critical thinking electorate. Yeah. You're trying to make a bunch of sheep, to quote QAnon, yeah. <laughs> uh, who can be easily scared into one direction Who will or work the for the rich. But they need to have enough grasp of, like, concepts and reality to do their shit job. Yeah. <laughs> you know? My therapist has this thing about, like, the problem with the old model of therapy, uh, and I think education is what I'm trying to draw here, is that you're just designing a person to be a cog put into a machine. Yeah. But the machine is fake and people aren't cogs, so that's not how it works. And what if you don't want to be... speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can be cogged as Do much I as you... Do I fit in any machine? But I, No, but I'm still a cog. Yeah. How and, dare you? And you? I'll find my machine someday. Someday. And so, yeah, that, that's, that's fucking Claudia Vera Cumberbatch. She changed her name to Claudia Jones to hide from the FBI. And it worked because I forgot I forgot this part earlier. When the FBI is monitoring her, they think she might be a white lady from Virginia or something, or or a lady from Virginia, oh, so because Jones is just such a, yeah. a, a ubiquitous mm. name. And so it's several years before they realize she's not even an American-born citizen. The book that really influenced me to do this episode is a book called Left of Karl Marx, written by a lady named Carol Boyce Davies. That's why I was getting things there mixed up. There we go. Um, and Carol Boyce Davies is lived a similar life herself. She was born in the Caribbean, moved to America, studied as a history teacher, and then uh, ended up in England. One thing I wanted to say, though, is that at the beginning of the episode, we were talking about how respectability and yeah. trying to be the top 10%, doing the best, being the smartest. Yeah, like that. black exceptionalism. Yeah, and I like how she turn that on its head and it's like it's not that we're exceptional it's that we're human yeah i really wish that was where we could start looking at this in general is that it's not that we like and it's not to diminish any of those things like you are all of your intersectional things but you are human first yeah and that means 
that you have a lot in common with people, but it means there's going to be things you're going to need to learn about other people. Yeah. I, Sorry, I just, that was... No, no, that's, no, that's... Exceptionalism is a dreadful philosophy. It does, American exceptionalism, though. It's real bad. Honey. It's real bad. I... <laughs> the thing I really admire about her is I guarantee if she was around today, she would be fighting for queer rights. Yeah, she would exactly. be fighting for all the rights because I think she's one of those people that recognizes like whatever you do to the least of people, you can do to the rest of them eventually. Yeah. And like her her life was so specific and unique and it's like it th that thing I read at the top about like I'm, I'm less concerned about the next Einstein as all the people we've lost. Mm -hmm. Like, her her life is one of the few examples of, like, somebody who was really capable of breaking out of that mold. Because, like, the mold that she should have been was, you know, just a seamstress or whatever. Mm -hmm. like, like, it's, I don't know, it's just, I don't believe in heroes. I think she is thoroughly heroic. Yeah. Because at every opportunity, she's like, all right, who can I help next? Mm-hmm. Like, she sits down in England and is like, cool, communists suck here. Let's just fucking, immigrants, like, let's yeah. band together. Like... She recognized that it's the problem isn't who you oppress, but that there's oppression to begin with. Yeah, and I I really hate that, especially as people from marginalized groups, we f can forget that mm -hmm. in moments and think that like and separate ourselves out yeah. in a way that only benefits the people at the top and not the people who are marginalized in any way, shape, or form. The reason I think kind of what we're doing with our show here is important is we're trying to capture stories like this to give to people. We're trying to get people to rethink history in a similar way. And like, sometimes it's easy, at least for me to lose heart and be like, this is dumb. It doesn't matter what we do. Carol Boyce Davies, the author of Left of Karl Marx, the, the Claudia Jones story, was looking for Claudia Jones's grave because she's buried in England. She is literally buried to the left of Karl Marx. You look at the <laughs> statue and Hell she's yeah. buried. And it was symbolically done yeah. done that way by yeah. people at the time. But there are huge walking tours of Highgate Cemetery, like the big famous cemetery in England, and they never mark her out. Those buttholes. But because of Carol's Carol Boyce Davies' book uh, and a donation of her of a, of a rose bush, it's now a part of the walking tours where Aww. they point out like, hey, this is this woman that the Americans were fucking dick asses to and sent over here. And so, so like, I don't know. I just think it's, it's, I just think it's neat. Just Marge Simpson. Isn't that neat? Yeah. It's just, yeah. A, I thought this was fucking dope. I'm happy yeah. to share it with, with you. Thank you. I do feel enriched. Dahlia, do you have any place our listeners can try to find you if they want to find you? Oh, Yeah. Um, Sorry, reality again. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at mix Dahlia Bell. So that's mx dot Dahlia Bell. That's me. And that's your name on Facebook, too. Yeah, it's... I have my professional page with this mix Dahlia Bell, because that is my professional name. Uh, where can people find you, Rochelle? Um, I mean, ideally, you'll find me at Whore for Poor on Instagram and buy one of my paintings, because I've been spitting some fire. Seriously, yeah. these paintings are dope as fuck. And also, I'm on TikTok at underscore Roco Cody. I'm actually doing this thing where I draw neurographics and talk about my mental health. I have 1,400 followers, so I'm kind of a big deal. And you can find me uh, at ComedianPTP on Twitter or Patrick Thomas Perkins. Or if you like the show and you want to help out, Recyclables uh, on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Recyclables. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, everyone. I'm going to go pee you. again. Woo!
musical clips come from Aesop Rock's The Blob, which you can get for free on Rhyme Series Entertainment. It's a great half hour. Uh, Recyclables was researched, produced, and edited by Patrick Thomas Perkins. That means when it sounds weird, it's my fault. But when it sounds great, it's because the patrons. Thank you, patrons, very much for supporting the show. I love you. That, that feels I'm like going, we're getting more into no, like I'm a different. No, I'm getting into answer. Bioshock now. Oh, okay, I'm thinking. Okay. I'm thinking for some reason <laughs> I went Bioshock in that, and like there's a mutant race made by science. Oh, uh, her her <laughs> super rats. Super rats. Her parents arrive in the home of super rats, New York. Thank you for picking up recyclables today. Donations to the ACAST streaming service are, of course, always welcomed, but the best way to support the show is by going to patreon.com forward slash recyclables and becoming a patron today. If you can't do that, another great way is by liking, subscribing, sharing, rating, and reviewing the podcast on whatever podcast listening service you use. All right, thanks.